Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. You got your Bibles. Uh, hopefully you're there. Micah, Micah chapter 7. We're going we're gonna to dive into our text in just a moment, into verses 18, 19, and 20. Years ago uh, at, a, at a Christian conference, the, the question was, was posed and, and was discussed, what, what makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world? And some of the some of the participants at this conference they, they they argued that that Christianity is unique because it teaches that God became man, uh, but but some objected, saying that no, there, there's actually there's actually other uh, there's actually other religions that that teach similar doctrines, and others thought, well, surely it's around the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus is is like a central part of of the gospel of our faith. Uh, and so they said, surely it's the resurrection, but, but no, it was argued that other faiths, faiths believe that, that the dead also, they, they believe that the dead rise uh, again. And so as the discussion heated up, uh, and, and, and there, was, there was no small amount of debate, uh, C.S. Lewis rolled in, uh, and, and, and C.S. Lewis came in, and he, and he sat down, and he asked, you know, okay, what, what's, what's the ruckus about? And when he learned that the debate was about the uniqueness of Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, immediately commented, and he said, oh, that's, that's easy. Like, th- th- this is easy. He said, uh, it's grace. C.S. Lewis said, What's, what makes Christianity unique is grace. Church family, it's grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. But here's, here's the thing that I, I want to remind you of that we say often at Restoration. Um, Restoration family, grace is not just a commodity that we get to consume. It is the very character of Almighty God that we are called to display. Amen? Grace is not just a commodity that we get to consume it is the very character of, uh, of God that He's called us to display. And so, at Restoration, what we say, we, we, we say this. We say, for the Christ follower, we believe that, that Christians, Christ followers are most set apart, like they're, we're most holy when we are responding to the grace of God in Jesus and turning it outward toward others. Amen? And so that's why we hold up this, this core value of gracious character. The, the God of the Bible is unique because He's gracious. And he, he transforms His people into a people of grace. Amen, church? And make sure y'all are with me. I know we're all a little tired. I know everybody went to bed right at 10.30 last night. Um, but God, God is a God of grace who transforms us into a people of grace. So as we dive into our text, uh, the, the, the first thing that, that, that I want to say, and, and uh, I, I don't remember, I don't think we covered this in our introduction, but the name uh, Micah, as, as a prophet, Micah's name meant, 
Who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? So, so what a fitting way to end his, uh, his writing in verse 18 when he says, Who is a God like you? And really, he's drawing from Exodus 15.11 because it was Exodus 15.11 where Moses confessed, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? And so, so God is set apart church family, by, by this extravagant grace. This, this, he's set apart by this grace that's poured out on those who don't deserve it, those who could not possibly earn it. And so the million-dollar question as we jump into the text this morning, Christian, are you set apart by that same grace? Are you set apart in your life, in your heart, by the grace of God? First thing this morning, if you're, if you're following along, if you're following along in your bulletin, as we look at a gracious God who calls us to be a people of grace, the first point I want to make is this, uh, God's pardon is the final word. God's pardon is the final word, amen? I want you to look at your neighbor, tell him, God's pardon. Look at your, look at your other neighbor and say, God's pardon. So, so. Here's the thing about Micah, and if you've, been, if you've been rocking with us for the last four weeks, Micah is not the book that you open up to, like, to, to get the warm fuzzies, <laughs> okay? Uh, this, this is, uh, like, like most uh, minor prophet books, Old Testament prophetic books, like you're not reading Micah to get a pat on your back for, for your awesomeness. Uh, in fact, most, most of the book uses fairly harsh language of this, this looming judgment that, that was about to be levied on Judah. Like the southern tribes, Judah was a mess. It's an absolute mess of rebellion against God. Richard Phillips, he, he, he paints a pretty bleak picture. Phillips says this, in Micah's days, he said, the rich exploited the poor. He said, land was unlawfully seized. Pointing to Micah 2.2, Business practices were corrupt, Micah 6, 10 through 12. And then Philip says, and there had been the complete degradation of family and community life. We see that in Micah 7, 5 through 6. But, but maybe the most indicting and kind of like all-encompassing statement of Micah, of what was going on in Judah at the time, and it really mirrors the language of Paul in Romans 3, 10, is this. He says in Micah 7, 2, if, if you're there, you can look. He says, the godly has perished from the earth. Wow. He says, the godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one, no one upright among mankind. And so, as Micah 7 continues, and I encourage you to go back today and read the entirety of the chapter, as Micah 7 continues, it's just this kind of like the, the depravity of man is on full display. However, towards the end of the chapter, the language begins to shift. And there's almost this like Exodus type language where even in verse 15, you see it where Micah says this in verse 15, As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. And so verse 18 through 20 of Micah 7 essentially becomes a, a confession that, that is almost an exact replica of Moses' confession, if you want to write this down, in Deuteronomy 34, 6 and 7. 
It mirrors Deuteronomy 34, 6, and 7. But here's the thing. Before you can just... Before we can embrace the good news, we, we've got we've to come to grips with the really bad news. And so that's 18 and 19. We see this. It, we, we, it uses, Micah uses three different Hebrew words for how Israel had failed, for how Judah had failed. The first word we see is this word iniquity in the, in the Hebrew, awon, A-W-O-N, and it means guilt. It carries with it this idea that our sins, because they are against the very character and nature of God, because they are, they are against the, the law of God, they bear with them a, a debt to God's justice and holiness, and it's a debt that has to be settled. It has to be settled. That's iniquity. And then you see, you see the word transgression in the Hebrew. It's this word pesa, P-E-S-A. And it's, it, it means rebellion against the authority of God. And it carries with it this idea of like uh, the audacity, but of the created saying to the creator, like, you know what? Like, we don't really believe in your sovereignty. We don't really believe in your authority over our lives. So like, you know what? We're just going to throw it off and do our own thing. Like that can really happen. But that's what we do, transgression, it's rebellion against the authority of God. And then finally, you see the word sin, or, or hata, H-A-T-T-A in the Hebrew, and it just is a, a word for wickedness and evil. And so, get this picture, like, Judah was filled with great, Jerusalem was filled with great immorality and injustice and idolatry. And the result was a, a nation and a culture that was just in absolute decay. It, it, was, a, it was a culture that was just kind of uh, in, in chaos and in, in crumbling. But, but church fam, this is what makes the final three verses of Micah's scroll so incredibly powerful. Don't, don't miss it. The point of the passage is that God forgives all these types of sin. Amen? God, like, it's like, man, this is really bad, and, but God forgives all of it. He offers forgiveness for all of it, and, and like, we need, to, we need to lock into this this morning. I, I, want you to, I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, that's, that's bigger news than beating Bama. Okay, so, so again, look, look at your other neighbor, so, so, we're not, so we're not complete idolaters this morning after the Aggie victory, and tell them, that's much better news than beating Alabama. So, so the, fact, the fact that it lays out uh, transgression, iniquity, and transgression, and sin... But the whole point of the passage is that God is able and willing to forgive all of it. Man, that is fantastic news for people who are in here right now who who you think you're too far gone. But you you just think like, man, you you don't know what I've done. You don't know... Like even what's been in my heart and, and what this is saying is you're, you're not too far gone. It's good news for you. But you know what? It's also good news for the person sitting in here right now who's too pr- proud to admit their brokenness. It's good news for both. And so the question becomes, like, how, how, how can a holy God, how, how in the world 
Can a holy God who does not tolerate sin walk in restored relationship with His image bearers who have missed the mark? And church, let's, let's keep it 100 this morning because here's, here's the bag that the culture has us draw from. Right? Like here, here's, here's the cultural bag. The culture will tell you, just reach in the bag and, and you, you, either, you either just deny sin or, or you just redefine it, right? You, you redefine it or you deny, oh, that's, that's not sin. Well, I think the Bible, no, it's not. Pretty sure that's what, No. But then we're still left wondering, like, what do I do with all this guilt and shame, even though we've denied it or even though we've redefined it? Or, or here's, here's another bag that the culture will have you draw from. And, and, and we see this all the time. The culture just tells you, just forgive yourself, right? Like, that's a big one in culture. Hey, just, just forgive yourself. Just make peace with yourself. Just make, just make peace with your sin uh, yourself. But the problem is, you don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of authority because only the judge can pardon. But praise God. James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says, God excels at forgiveness. Amen. Let that sink in for a little bit. I, I, like, I don't know what you excel at. I don't know what you're good at. Maybe like, you're, uh, you're, you're a great golfer. Uh, maybe maybe like, you're really great at your craft or your job or like student. You're, you're really great at studying. Some of the other students need to go find that, that girl, that guy. Um, God excels at mercy. Can I get an amen on that? Like, I, I'm super grateful for that. God's really good at mercy. And here in the text, we, we see this Exodus language again that God, God will pass over transgression. But not, but not like pass over, like kind of like nonchalant, look the other way. No, no, it's, it, it's, it's a reference back to Exodus 12. It's, it's, it's a reference back to Exodus 12 where God doesn't just pass over. It took the blood of a lamb. It took the blood of a substitute lamb over the doorposts of Israel for God to pass over so that the people didn't have to deal with the wrath of God for sin. And then verse 19 talks about our sins being cast off into the depths of the sea. Once again, it, it's a reference. It's taken us back to Exodus just as God uh, had hurled the Egyptians into the sea, never to be heard from again. That's what He does with our sin. That's what He does with our sin. Church fam, do we, do we believe that God is a God of compassion? Amen? Like, do we, do we believe that God is, is a, a, a God who says when it's pardoned, that it's done? Do we believe that? Do we believe Psalm 103, 10 through 12, where the psalmist says this, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you believe that, say amen. Church, Jesus has provided the pardon. 
He's provided the pardon. But here's the thing. I, 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 read, I read a story this past week of, of a guy by the name of George Wilson. George Wilson, back in 1830, was convicted and sentenced to be hanged. But a crazy thing happened. Andrew Jackson, President Jackson, issued a pardon. He issued a pardon for Wilson, but Wilson refused to accept it. And it went all the way, it went all the way to the courts. And uh, Chief Justice Marshall concluded that, that Wilson would still have to be executed. He said, Wilson said, a pardon is just a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. Uh, he said, if, if it is refused, if it's refused, there's, there's no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And so here's, here's the sobering reminder that like the God of the universe has extended a pardon through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right? Amen? He's extended it. The, the question is, have you, have you received it? Have you received it? And, and, and I love, check this out, church. Pardon in the Hebrew, it means it means to lift. It means it means to raise up and and and, and to take away. That's what that's what God does. John McKay says it like this: It says God lifts up the burden of our guilt that is crushing us, and He carries it away. Some of you right now are like sitting under like the weight. You're sitting under the weight of shame and guilt. God's pardon in Christ just stands ready for receiving. And he will take it and he will lift it and he will carry it away. Get that picture of God removing the burden, not only the burden, but the bondage of sin and as you let that just kind of settle, not, not just into your brain, not just with kind of this mental ascent, but let it settle on your heart that he did that for your sin. And then ask, if, if God treated my sin that way, let's turn it, let's, let's, let's look in the mirror of God's word and say, why, then, then why, why are you holding others' sin over them? And if your heart has been transformed by the pardon of God, why, like, why do you refuse to pardon others? And, and, and I think the answer lies, lies in this. It's that we, you, you, want the final, you want the final word on judgment. Like you want to reserve that final judgment. You don't want to give it to God. But, but think, about, think about it. That's a scary thing to say that like I, I want to be, I want the final judgment in light of the great pardon and mercy that you have received. God pardons. God's pardon is the final word. Amen? Second thing this morning, and we're going to stay in verse 18. God's people are the future. God's people are the future. I want you to look at your neighbor, tell them God's people. Look at your other neighbor, tell them God's people. We, we, tell, we tell our kids all the time, people over things. That's right. Things. <laughs> people over things. They, they're excited about it. Yesterday, so Ruth, Ruthie just turned four. And, uh, and so uh, she, she had a, a big girl birthday party. We, we celebrated Bluey, Bluey style, well, Australian sheepdog style. Uh, I do have a Bluey t-shirt I will be sporting more often. 
But, but we, yesterday morning, uh, we, we experienced people over things firsthand because our, our boys with their massive Lego extravaganza in the playroom, Ruthie decided to redecorate Levi's Lego City. Was not a big fan of the pink and purple design. Uh, it was like a scene from the Lego movie all over. Uh, but what do we say? We say people over things. People over things. The two words that I, I, I want to focus on in verse 18 for this point are, are the words remnant and inheritance. First of all, keep in mind, church family, that, that the word remnant here is, is loaded with, with implications. The, the fact, check this out, the fact that only a remnant would be left to receive this pardon, because only a remnant are left to receive the pardon, reveals that many, many had continued in rebellion and they had borne the consequences for their sin. And so it's a, it's a reminder that, that grace is not, it's, we don't get to cheapen grace. Grace is not to be trifled with. Like you don't get to receive God's grace on your own terms. Like you receive it on God's terms through the person and the work of Jesus. Second thing, second word, we, we, we see the word inheritance. In the Hebrew, it's this word nahala, N-A-H-A-L-A. Nahala, inheritance, it, it means hereditary property or possession. And so, so throughout Micah, you, you see these big picture themes. You see these themes of justice, uh, God's justice. You, you see the theme of God's holiness. You see the theme of, of God's mercy. Inheritance points to the theme of His sovereignty, it points to the theme of his sovereignty that God is sovereign creator. He lays claim on the remnant and he, this remnant, and he calls them his own. But church, stop, stop and think about the significance of this. He calls the remnant his own. He calls them his inheritance. Think about that. We've talked about this before, but, but there, there's, there's two value systems, right? There's God's value system, and then there's, there's the value system of this world that wants to throw off the authority and the rule of God, to throw off the sovereignty of God. So, so God, what does God value? God, God values first his glory. Like, that's, that's what God values. But God also values mercy. Look at your neighbor tell him, Mercy. God values people. Look at your neighbor, tell them people. That's, that's what God values. Here, here's what the world values, right? You look around the culture, this is what they're pushing you toward. The, 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 the culture, this world system values self-preservation. It values self-glory. It values self-righteousness. And it values stuff. So at every turn, that's what the world is pushing you back towards. Self-glory, self-righteousness, stuff. And, and so while we're focusing, check this out, while we're focusing on an inheritance of possessions, and we're focusing on an inheritance of money and houses and things, God says, Christian, that his inheritance is you. The remnant. God, God says you, you are his inheritance. And here we are. And, and look, look, at, look, at how, look at how we approach this. I, 
There's a story of, of New York hotel and real estate billionaire Leona Helmsley. It's a true story. <laughs> it's crazy. She passed away in 2007. And she, she left $12 million to her white Maltese dog, Trouble. <laughs> this dog was so pampered and favored, it, it received the largest endowment from her will, like, of all the family. <laughs> like, there were, like, there were two grandchildren that got cut out of the will. <laughs> but good news, her, her brother Alvin was designated as Trouble's caretaker, so, so he, got, he got $10 million from the will, just $2 million short of the dog. <laughs> like, that, that was the inheritance. Church, church that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's absolutely ridiculous, but here, here's the reality. So often, our thoughts of the future, are, they're so consumed with comfort and security and, and stuff. And God says that His future is His children. Amen? Like God, like God values people. God says people are His future. And so, so it, like I, it made me think this week of Psalm 127.3 where the psalmist says that children are an inheritance. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. Parents, like just, just one low-hanging fruit application before I kind of get into the, uh, the, the, the application that I want to dig in on. But parents, it, it, it's, it's this. If you're going to be like God, if, if you're going to reflect the character of God, we've got to quit focusing so much on an inheritance of stuff and start, listen, start focusing on your children themselves as the inheritance that you're leaving. And it means this, it means you, you, more, than, more than their sports accolades, more than all the extracurriculars, more than their preparedness for college, their popularity, or even their worldly happiness, you need to think about leaving an inheritance of, ch of children who walk with Jesus. Who, who love Jesus, who long for the kingdom of Jesus to come. That's, that's your inheritance. Not, not the stuff you leave them. Not, not whether or not you're, we're, we're setting them up for like worldly success or to be good, productive citizens. You, you should be worried about whether or not they're citizens of the, of, of the kingdom of heaven. That, that's what, parents, that's what we need to be worried about but let me let me give you let me give you another application this, this is the primary application i want to focus on in light of this truth christian if christian if god if god poured out his life for you if he poured out his life for you and he he sees you as in his inheritance what what do you think should be the focus of your life people or things People or things. Matthew 16, 26 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what, what shall a man get, give in return for his soul? So, so here's, here's, the, here's the thought. If, if you want to forfeit your soul, just quit worrying about the souls of others. 
If you want to forfeit your soul, just, just quit worrying about the souls of others and just live for the stuff of this world. But here's the thing. God values people. Amen? Like God, God values people, period. And so the mark of a Christian is love for God that overflows into love for others. Amen? And so, so whatever, like, if you run across somebody who's running over people and treating people like garbage, listen, they may say they're holding up the God of the Bible, but they're not. It's a false God. Because if you're following Jesus, you're following in the ways of Jesus. And the love that you've received is going to overflow into a love for others. Now, let me, let me be clear. Let me be very clear, not, not just a, a culturally contrived, because this pseudo-love, this is, this is what's going on in the culture. See, the culture is trying to tell the church how we're supposed to love. No, 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 God's Word tells us how we love, amen? And, and so it's not just this culturally contrived pseudo-love that affirms everything about the world and affirms sin. No, it's a biblically informed and a biblically rooted love that loves others enough to point them to the standard of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's how we love. Because after all, as, as our text is revealing, it's, it's, not, it's not everyone who receives the pardon. It's not, it's not everyone who's a child of God. It's the remnant who actually seek Him and seek His kingdom even when the world is chasing hell and acting like it's heaven. Third thing this morning, as we look at verse 20, God's promise, God's promise is the foundation. Amen? God's promise is the foundation. Why don't you look at your neighbor and, and say, God's promise. Look at your other neighbor and, and say, God's promise. So in verse 18 and in verse 20, you see the repetition of, of this phrase, the steadfast love of God. Steadfast love. And, and in verse 18, verse 18 tells us that God, God delights he delights in steadfast love. In the Hebrew, it's actually translated from one word. It's this Hebrew word, hesed, H-E-S-E-D, if you want to write that down. And, and here's what's unique about, about this word hesed, this steadfast love. Richard Phillips says this, the, the, the word is so rich that, that it can hardly be given a single English translation. So if you've got the ESV, if you've got the English Standard Version, it's steadfast love. If you've got the Holcomb Christian Standard Bible, it's faithful love. I think the New American Standard uh, says unchanging love. Uh, probably what most people would recognize as the King James or the NIV, it just translates as mercy. But hesed is this word that is it's saturated with God's, uh, his loyalty to his covenant. And so like this week we were reading in our family devotional, Genesis 15, where God, God affirms his covenant with Abram. Except here's the thing, Abram falls asleep and it's actually God in the form of a fire who passes through the animal pieces. And it, it's showing that, that that steadfast love, that covenant, is, it's a unilateral commitment to this. God has an unswerving, life-giving devotion to those 
who are created in his image. Amen? Steadfast love. Church, the... Verse 20, verse 20 says that God will show, God will show faithfulness. In the Hebrew, that word faithfulness is emet, E-M-E-T. It's also translated truth. He will, he will be faithful, but, but it's because he, he's going to be faithful because he's true to himself. So when, when Jesus stood before Pilate and is like, man, what's truth? Maybe you're here, you're going, what's truth? And he's got... Jesus in front of him. Jesus who said, I I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Pilate just says, "What, what what is truth? Church, the standard of truth does not reside in broken man. It resides in the character and the word of internal God. And so think about it. That's like, is our hope, is your hope really in like your own ability to keep promises? Is, is it our ability and power to, to like redeem and reform ourselves? Is that, is that what our hope is in? Is, is our hope really uh, that, that we're like, you know, we're just always going to do the right thing uh, and we're always, we're, we're going to treat people the right way uh, or we're going to get a lot of us together and, and we're all going to do the right thing and treat the people the right way? Is, is our hope really in some culturally contrived relativistic standard of truth? Like church, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm getting at is what other ultimate and even eternal hope do we have outside the word of God? Like, like what, what do we have to cling to outside this revelation that he delights in this loyal love? Like what other hope do we have outside the finality of his forgiveness? Like that is really good news. Amen? Like it's, it's his steadfast love is unshakable, unmovable. This past week, as we were at the office, the Tom and Charlene uh, Bogus, longtime members of Restoration who've moved to Georgetown, they, they dropped by the office and, and, and we were lamenting uh, the fact that we were lamenting being uh, homeowners in Southeast Texas. <laughs> um, Tom and Charlene, after having all these, this massive amount of foundation work done eight years ago, they just found out recently, they're trying to sell their home, shout out, plug, okay, uh, that they need 20 extra peers put in because of the shifting landscape. And Steph and I are just sitting there going, man, like we, we get it. We get it because last year we're, we're looking and we're noticing like some settling. We're noticing cracks in the walls. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't just from four boys who wrestled too much, okay? Uh, like there was some legit foundation things. So we had our foundation repaired last year. And the te- in Texas, the saying goes that you, you either, you've either had foundation work done, if you own a home, or, or you're going to have foundation repairs. Church, what a... What a reminder for us. If, if the foundation of your life, if it's the, the shifting uh, tides of humanistic uh, promises and the ideologies of this world, like, listen, that, that's a foundation that's going to crack and crumble. Amen? Like, if your hope is in the promises of this world, in the ideologies of this world, in all the humanistic garbage that's going around, like, that's going to crumble. That's going to crumble. 
Church, is our hope still in Jesus? Is our hope, is our hope in our Savior? Who He is and what He's accomplished for us. Listen, is our, is our hope still in the Word of God? The Word of God that like it does not change when everything else around us is coming unglued and coming apart. God's Word doesn't change. This past week, for the Restoration Bible reading plan, I, I read this in, in Lamentations 3. And some of y'all, this is it. You need to hear this. Where Jeremiah says this. In the midst of great hurt, in the midst of great heartache, in the midst of great trial, he said, the Lord, Lamentations 3, 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion. Check this out. According to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Church, do we believe that? Because many of you, like right now, hang with me. Like you are walking through affliction. Like there, there are people in this place, and you like you're walking, you're walking through suffering. And let's be honest, at times some of it is self-inflicted, but at other times it's not. And, and you may like you may right now feel rejected by God. You like you you may you may feel like he's gone silent, or you may be even questioning, man, like does does God see me? Does he not see what I'm going through? Does he not see the hurt? Does he not does he not care? The prophet Jeremiah reassures us, just like Micah, that God is faithful to his love. Amen. It says his mercies are new every morning. It says that he will show compassion. And so, listen, Christian, hold on. Hold on. Don't, don't give up. You can bank on those promises even, even in the midst of the fire. I'll close with this and then we're done. Church, let's, let's remember how how Israel got into this mess in the first place. See, when, 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 you, chase, when you chase after idols, you, you're not, you're not going to reflect the image of the one true God. If you're chasing after false gods, you can't reflect the image of the one true God. And, and you're not going to value image bearers. You're not going to value people. You're going to run over people. You're going to treat them like garbage. See, when, when the world looked at Israel... They were, supposed to, they were supposed to get a glimpse of a gracious God who pardons. They were supposed to get a, a glimpse of, 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 a, of a God who valued people, of, of a God who was faithful to his promises. That's why God sent Micah to remind Israel uh, who they were. In church, let me say this. I got... It's where it's humbling to be a dad. It's humbling to be a parent. As I look at my kids, I like I I need y'all to know, I like I blow it all the time. All the time. There, 
there are times where even though I wanted to, like my speech doesn't honor Jesus. There, there's times where my, like my pride is on full display. Times where, where my, like my anger rises up and it doesn't glorify God. Times where I'm just flat out selfish. But one of the, one of the most humbling things about being a dad is, is watching, uh, watching how quickly like my kids forgive me. Like on, on my worst day, like my first grader forgives me in a second and a half. My worst day. And maybe, maybe there's an aspect of faith like a child like that, that, we've been, that we've been missing. Because see, ben, Benjamin just believes God loves him. And, and so Ben freely loves others. He just, he just knows God loves him, and so he, he freely extends love to others. So Christian, here's my point. Do you understand the pardon that you've received? Like, do you understand the, the pardon that has been given to you? When you, you didn't earn it, you didn't do anything for it, you, you, don't, you don't deserve it, and yet God, God has poured out his grace on you through Jesus. Here's the thing. We come back full circle. We receive that grace, but don't, don't forget. Grace is not just a commodity that we get to selfishly consume. It is the very character of God that he is calling us to put on display in our lives. And it's why Paul would say this in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love. Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Church, we serve a gracious God. Amen? Like we, all, we can all affirm that. Amen. God is gracious. But here's the question. Will we be a gracious people? Y'all pray with me.